This is going to be a very special episode. And I'm going to open it by calling you out. Mm. You see, I'm not only going to call you out, though. I've got, I've got multiple call-outs. I'm also going to call out Adam Clagg. Oh, yeah. oh. Call yeah. him out. Yeah. Come on, Adam. Assuming you're listening to this, bud. <laughs> Assuming he's we, listening. Hey, yeah. It's courtesy. We listen to your podcast, so yeah. you know you better listen to ours. You know? Yeah. So I hope, I hope your, your ears are perked up. Hope you got a little smirk on your face. Be like, Matthew, what's, what's this idiot about to say about me? <laughs> guess what, bud? I got five words. Because I was listening to, to your latest episode on every pastor podcast. You know, you're, look, look at all these plugs you're getting from us, all right? I was listening to it. And you were talking about uh, your, your audience. You, you were addressing the audience. You said, and I know only pastors are listening to this podcast. I'm like, Adam, what about me? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a pastor. I'm listening. What about me? Don't you care about me? Well, I was, I was going to give a flat, too. I didn't. I cut him some slack because the previous episode, he said, well, no one likes the word clergy. I'm thinking, I love the word clergy. Why would you use the word clergy? Word. It's a word. It's a great, great word. So, yeah, Adam, we're calling you out. Call on our podcast. We'll, we'll fight. Fighting words. But anyway, on to the, to the more important topic again. Mason, I'm going to call you out. Because I thought of you while I was listening to that latest episode. And you said that you listened to the latest episode today. I did. So, um, do you remember how long they said they spent working on sermons? Yeah, for about six months is Mason, what uh, a couple yeah. people said. Mason, how long do you spend? I, uh, yeah, see, I'm, well, here's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty as charged. <laughs> six months is not what you do. Uh, six months is definitely not what I do. Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. Is that a failure of an intro? No, or we're, what? We're, we're rolling. We'll roll with it. Alright, well. You gotta commit. Commit to the bit. <laughs> commit to the bit. Okay, well, Tanner, what's your name? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Whoa! Whoa! Where we're are you going ahead? I'm trying, to, I'm trying oh. to throw us back in the rails. Oh my. I mean, we're about to get right back off of them. I'm ready. Well, let's, let, let's jump back on the rails. So, I'm, we're your host. I'm Tanner Higgins. I'm Matthew Thompson. And I'm Mason Simmons. So John chapter 10, and I want to set up this conversation by asking a question that might be obvious, but I haven't searched the answer for it yet myself, so I'm going to ask it to y'all. This is the same setting as the end of John chapter 9, correct? Yes. Like, okay. I just want to make sure there wasn't like some, some time passing in between, um, because I mean, that helps a lot with like how you read this, like the voice that you read it with, like who is Jesus talking to throughout the scripture? Because as we teased at the end of our last episode, we're, we're talking about sheep. Um, the metaphor of us being sheep comes up, which is a very common theme in, in Scripture, and for good reason, which we'll get into. But just to just kick things off, uh, if y'all don't have anything to, to open up with yourselves, I'll read verses 1 through 6. All right. So verses 1 through 6 in John chapter 10 reads, Most certainly, I tell you, one who doesn't enter by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But one who enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Whenever he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus spoke this parable to them, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So what, what, what do we think about sheep here? What's... What's being said uh, with this little little parable, as is said in verse six, there. When you talk about sheep, uh, you know, the automatic thing that comes into your head is they're stupid, and they're uh, they they want to follow something. They follow in the sense of like anything that that has any kind of like some kind of form of security to them. 
And in this topic, in this thing that, that Jesus is speaking of here, you have to relate that sheep are equal with humanity, that sheep are humans. So get that analogy in our minds here. And there are sheep that are within the fold, and there's a shepherd. So there's things going on here that there's a shepherd here, there's sheep here, and then there's people, thieves, and robbers coming and sit inside. So you've got a contrast between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd. And so you have something is that is holding these sheep in, and there's only one designed way for them to get in and out of. But yet these bad shepherds, these thieves and robbers, are not going by the designed route. Now, just like we stated this before, that John chapter 10 is a continuation of John chapter 9, because, lo and behold, letters, epistles, that the way that these Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, were not written in chapters and verses. Yeah. So it's a continuation. So to go back into the context of the blind man. Yeah, he's still talking to him. He's still probably talking to this guy. Yeah. And so there's a conversation here that Jesus is speaking not just to the blind man, but probably to other people that are aware of his situation. Yeah, the and, pronoun uh, them was used. So yeah. that there has a crowd of some sort uh, gathered. During yeah. So I'm wondering, not only is the blind man that has probably been uh, castrated and exiled from the temple and from the religious leaders, but there's probably other people that he's hanging out with that have probably done the same have been exiled and excommunicated from the temple. So they have been perceived and have been maybe stolen by bad shepherds, by bad wolves and lions and, and chaotic things. So go into this text here and we see that the word true shepherd is made mention and then wolves and thieves and robbers are kind of the, the context of those of like something that is protector and someone that is a taker and destructor of life. And those are kind of two different things, but yet when the word shepherd is is referred to as a political and spiritual leader, even within uh, Old Testament Old Testament and ancient world context, it's used in Isaiah chapter fifty six. It's used in Jeremiah chapter three that you know there's spiritual leaders and political leaders that they're referred to as shepherds. Now within this text in John chapter ten, that I can see that the the thieves and the robbers even though that is their true intention, that they may even label themselves as shepherds, as people that, okay, well, I'm just stealing a sheep and taking care of it. It kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, when David stole Bathsheba, and then when the prophet Samuel came and gave the uh, story of, you know, you stole the sheep and you did this. It's like, well, David's like, where is this man? I'm going to kill him, you know. It kind of reminds me back to that. But she, he did end up killing his 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 lover's husband. Yes, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I, I'm I'm lacking on sleep and I'm running on one cup of coffee. But yeah, it kind of reminds me of that story of that like someone that says, "Oh, I'm truly taking I'm truly taking a shepherd's role," but in reality, that they're wolves and they are thieves and they are robbers there to destroy. So I would that you would see a lot of people that would claim, oh, "I'm a protector. I'm a political leader to protect. I'm a spiritual leader here to." to help everyone but in reality their small I don't want to say agenda but yet their true motives are destructive and to, to maim to kill to steal and to destroy so I think that Jesus is, is is talking to these people these exiled these excommunicated people like the blind man in chapter 9 it's like listen these spiritual and 
political leaders that you were in bondage with and kind of your parents were afraid of, they're just stealing and killing and destroying. But there's someone better, a true shepherd of the fold, that is here to protect the sheep. And we said that sheep is a representation of all of humanity. And so I think Jesus is laying in the forefront here a picture uh, to those that would want to listen of who the true shepherd is. One thing I noticed about this chapter um, that I also observed about uh, John chapter 9 last week, uh, much like that chapter, this one is uh, very singular in topic. Like it kind of follows the same uh, train of thought throughout the Topical? Entire... Yeah, there you go. Yeah. There you go, Mason. You're, you're, you're topical preaching. Uh, follows that uh, a singular train throughout the chapter. And one thing I noticed, not just in this chapter, but in the book of John so far, uh, I don't know if y'all recall when we were reading through chapter one, where Jesus is given seven different names. And as you go down the line of each name given, it gets more specific. Mm -hmm. Like as it starts out, he's basically just being like referred to as, oh, hey, this is a person. And then by the end, by the seventh name, it's he is being openly referred to as like the Messiah, like this. This is the the prophesied one. Like it becomes more specific. Um, it's like a I'll interrupt. I'll, I'll say this and I don't. don't lose your it's kind of like I think I see John as like an investigator, starting out with a wide spectrum of like who the Son of God, who is Jesus, and he's slowly narrowing it down to yeah. okay, this is it. Yeah. So he's like an investigator, so showing different avenues of proof that this is the Messiah. It's almost like that's his goal right now. Oh, whoa, whoa, what? Smart guy. <laughs> and I'm noticing that same technique seems to be taking place across the chapters of this book so far. Because Jonathan chapter 10, like, I've just, this is something you don't really notice, like, in real time. You have to kind of take a step back. You, you know what I mean? Like, you, if, uh, say, for instance, um, let's throw a nature metaphor out there. Like, you take a waterfall. When when that waterfall first showed up, when it, whenever it showed up, when the water started running in a certain direction over a bunch of rocks, those those rocks were more than likely pretty jagged, right? They weren't very pretty smooth stones. But years and years and years and years and years roll by, and that water goes and erodes those rocks. They become smooth. So when you go to a waterfall that's been around for a hot minute, you see lots of, lots of stones that are like fit for skipping. Real, real nice, smooth rocks. Now, I'm sure that if you just chill by that waterfall, let's imagine that you are an eternal being for a moment, just to make this metaphor work a little better, and you decide, I'm going to sit next to this waterfall for 25 years straight. On year three, you're probably not going to like suddenly notice that, oh, whoa, these rocks are getting smoothed out. Huh. But if someone shows up on year one, and they're like, oh, these rocks are pretty jagged, and then it shows up like 10 years later, it's like, oh, hey, you're still sitting here, bud? Man, these rocks look a lot smoother now, don't they? You'd look at them and go, what are you talking about? You've been witnessing it in real time, so you don't really notice these changes. Does that, does that make a little mm -hmm. more sense? Okay, I just want to make sure I'm not speaking nonsense here. So that's kind of the effect that I was getting when I was uh, reading John chapter 10 initially. But then I noticed, wait a second. This similarity that I'm seeing with John chapter 1, things have ramped up. Jesus is very, like, clearly asserting his place. Like, he, he openly states at one point in this chapter, like, I and God are one. I and the Father are one, more specifically. Like, he's... Not that Jesus was beating around the bush uh, to begin with, but like he knows the way to reveal himself. Like he is revealing himself solely and deliberately in a way that can't be contested, especially by the Pharisees, because they're public enemy number one uh, when it comes to trying to call out Jesus for being some heretic fake Messiah. So yeah, this, I just get that same feeling that I got when we were reading John chapter one initially. Like, oh, Jesus is really ramping things up. He's he's this is an open challenge, more or less. Like, I mean, is he not calling out the Pharisees when he's talking about these these bad shepherds? I mean, 
Who else is he calling out? Well, I mean, we've already made the distinction that sheep are stupid, and he's making the metaphor that we are the sheep. Yeah. And plenty of times when Jesus is explaining something, people are like, Jesus, quit speaking in riddles. <laughs> so, I mean, technically, yeah, we're, we, we are stupid. And he ends up explaining it, actually, in this chapter. Yeah, I think constantly within his teachings and within his analogies and metaphors and stuff like that, I think he's always, it seems like he's always addressing and jeering the Pharisees and the religious people, the high and mighty, the ones that are basically the thieves and the robbers of humanity, of Jews, of the people of Israel, of those that he loves. And it's kind of like going back to, like, it seems like Uriah. Like, so let's go back to the, 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 that picture of David and Uriah and Bathsheba situation. It's like almost that Uriah is the true shepherd of that sheep Bathsheba. But David is now that poor thief and robber that has stolen that sheep that belonged to that shepherd. And I think that Samuel has made that distinction of, like, you're the thief. You deserve to die. And, I, and of course, it tore David apart. But yet here, I think that Jesus is going forward and with his conversations like these, we need to make sure that I need need you to focus on me, the true shepherd. I'm the one that has the true covenant with you. You don't have a covenant with the Pharisees and with the religious and the political leaders. You have it with me. I'm the true shepherd. I'm the one that you need to be listening to. And I'm going to do some history uh, lessons here. But uh, when it talks about the fold, in first century Judea, sheep from many different flocks were actually kept overnight, kind of like in a common area. And so you had many flocks within one big arena type deal thing to keep safe overnight. And there was only one gatekeeper, one doorkeeper, who regulated which sheep was brought in and taken out. And when that she- when, the- when those sheep heard their shepherd's voice, that one individual those certain sheep would go towards that shepherd and go towards that one. So they would not flock to someone they didn't recognize, someone, a voice, a thief or a robber. So it's like almost someone has to come in there and grab them almost. And Jesus is like, you know, if you want to hear my voice and if you want to be loved, and, and Jesus is a benevolent and loving and caring shepherd that cares for his flock, but yet those of strangers and thieves and robbers come to destroy those sheep that want to be loved and want to be secure within within uh, the true shepherd, they will follow his voice. You follow my voice? Yeah. Yeah, I'll follow. Occasionally. <laughs> Occasionally. <laughs> when necessary. There's one point I did. I noticed that uh, when Matthew was talking about the names of back from John chapter 1, uh, how people and John was giving Jesus all these names, and before we get to the end of the chapter, we'll mm-hmm. see, you know, Jesus call himself, you know, other names. He calls himself two right here. And I, I really like how they parallel together. Uh, first, he says, you know, I am the door. Because he talks about the people, the sheep who walk through the door. Well, Jesus says, I am the door. Uh, in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find a pasture. But then he goes on down in verse 11 and says, he is also, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives life for his sheep. It goes on to say in between verses and, and later on in scriptures, but I'm just going to do a little quick little summary of it is to walk in the door is how you're going to get saved. But we you know once you walk in that door, you're not alone. You know, he is going to be that shepherd that once you have walked in, once you have come in his way through him, mm-hmm. he's going to be that good shepherd that's going to give you that life and give you, you know, what you need to lead you on and not just leave you astray to wander alone because we know how sheep are and how we would be 
you know, without a shepherd or without that leader of the Holy Spirit guiding us. Well, look at verse 3. I, I like what it says in verse 3. It says, The doorkeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So I like that phrase, he calls his sheep by name. And this gives the view that the shepherd cares for that personality, that individual that is probably in danger of being stolen from thieves and robbers. One could say it seeks a relationship. Oh, so, and, and, I, uh, and I wrote these down in my notes, but yet the, the, the song, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow, comes to mind that I can hear my Savior calling, Where He Leads Me, I Will Follow. And I think that if the idea of having a relationship with our Creator, or the true shepherd that will take care of us and will lead us down the correct path, is that we have to be willing to go towards that. It's part of the free will concept, is that he's going to lead us. He's not going to drive us out of there. He's not going to drive us out of that that that, that pen that we, where we could be taken away and, and, and killed and destroyed into everlasting death. But yet he leads us into a path of everlasting life. And so that goes towards that where he leads me, I will follow. That he is a good shepherd when he says he is the true shepherd. So I think that's a, a good thing. And not only is he referring that, and this goes to the application thing, because you know you can get many applications, one interpretation, many applications, as my dad said. But this is a story about Christ Himself. But then it is also a story for pastors and preachers. Adam Clagg and Brandon Johns. I'm calling you out again, again, again. I'm calling you out. But uh, one one of the 16th century theologians, Adam Clark, he makes a statement. Uh, he says there are six marks of true and legitimate ministers of God in these six verses. And I want to point these six points out, and I think they're fantastic. Uh, he says, he has a proper entrance into the ministry. So someone that is a true shepherd that is going and wanting to lead people in, 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 in a ministry, in church, or in a teaching setting, he has a proper entrance into the ministry. So there's only one way to get a gate, one, one entrance. He sees the Holy Spirit opening his way as a doorkeeper to God's sheep. He sees that the sheep respond to his voice in teaching and leadership. He is well acquainted with his flock. He leads the flock and does not drive them or lord it over them. He goes before the sheep as an example. And this same attitude that the true shepherd has is the same attitude that ministers and pastors and teachers should have. That they shouldn't drive someone to want to know the, the, the word of the Lord, but yet they lead by example. They lead by calling them out by name in the sense that they care for mm -hmm. them. You know, not yeah. going out. And that sense of relationship, false. you can go back to other Gospels, and if you think of the parable of, uh, it's in Matthew and Luke if you wanted to look at it, but it's the, the parable of the, the one sheep that goes astray from the other 99, mm -hmm. and how the good shepherd will chase after that one. You know, he's not going to just forget it. And, you know, why is that? Because... Well, I mean, he has a relationship or a, a want and a need for all of them. You know, yeah, sure, I still have 99% of them, so losing one's not a big deal. Well, mm -hmm. no, not to a good shepherd, it's not. Uh, you you want to keep every one of them that you can. Yeah, which I want to point out, too, that Jesus, later on in this chapter, he explains, he says that he is both the gatekeeper and the true shepherd. And so that kind of goes forward. He says, you know, I call them out but yet I'm also guiding them and I lead them. And so here Jesus explains that he is the Holy Spirit that calls them, but then he's also Son of God, Jesus Christ, that leads them. So I think this gives a 
very good picture of a Trinitarian view of the Christology of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit being unified because Christ is explaining, I am both the shepherd and the gatekeeper at the same time. That they are not two separate things by themselves, but yet they are one together, working together to call the sheep to the true shepherd into good pasture. So, so continuing on in uh, verse 7, Jesus, Jesus starts explaining this. And, I, and, I'll, and I'll read this explained in Jesus' words. So, so Jesus said to them again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. I mean, him saying that alone is just offering a stark contrast to like how the Pharisees were running shop at the time. Because, I mean, they, they'll sit on their high moral standards and say, oh, we're following the law. Uh, we do all these um, necessary checkbox type things that allow us to say, oh, we are the, the religious uh, elite. We are, we are correct. You, you are all under us because we, I mean, we're, we're the Pharisees. What, what are you, just a lowly sinner? They like to take the law and beat people over the head with it. And you hear Jesus just making it clear, like, they may claim to be shepherds, but you'll, I mean, you'll know them by their fruits is the, the point mm-hmm. we made here. He's making it clear, I am the good shepherd because, oh, I, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. So you got, you got some foreshadowing thrown in there as well. I'm wondering if, like, Jesus is throwing out some ice here, because I'm because you know Pharisees and and the religious people are also listening on this conversation because he makes mention of this because earlier in this book and then is making mention of the books that he cleanses the temple and throws out the money changers and stuff like that and, and it doesn't say it in John but yet in the other synoptic gospels uh, I'll say one in Matthew twenty one uh, Jesus says and he said unto them it is written my father my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So he's making the parallel between you're making it into a den of thieves, it's not a house of prayer no more, to the same people that are stealing the sheep, the people, the sheep that I love. And so I'm wondering if he's throwing out some hot water, pouring it some hot oil on top of some these dudes' heads and trying to convict them a little bit, or at least throw a rock in their shoe. So I want to point two things out, that a thief in this implies deception and a liar for personal gain and a robber implies abuser and lover of destruction and we see this all throughout with the pharisees and the religious and the political leaders of first century with jesus and with the, with the people and we even see it within today's time that they there's there's pastors and there's leaders that take advantage and and they lie and they deceive and they abuse and they love destruction over truth and love and and, and mercy and grace. And I think Jesus is saying, it's like, no, don't follow these false teachers. Don't follow the ones that are that love destruction and love hatred and love all these things. Follow the true shepherd and the things that I am calling you out to be, calling you out to something that's good and great. So we'll continue our readings on uh, with uh, verse 12, and we'll go through about uh, verse 18. And it says, But a hireling, he is not a shepherd. One who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. 
As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and they will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. This commandment I have received from my Father. First off, I love the term hireling. That's beautiful. What, what version are you, you off of there? New King James. New King James. Hireling. Mine just says hired man. I like that. Mine just says hired help. Okay, so one actual observation from that. Well, for one, you have more foreshadowing of him being aware of like his death. Like that. That's something that... Um, it's one of those hindsight is twenty twenty type deals. I mean, reading through scripture, yeah, I mean, we know the story, like Jesus is going to die and then come back in three days. Spoilers. <laughs> but reading just the sheer amount of time and dedication he puts into making sure the public hears that he's going to do that is just, uh, there's a little, little bit of comic value in there, to be honest. Because, I mean, imagine being there during that time and hearing him say all this stuff. Like, how many people took that seriously? Because, I mean, I know it's easy to just say, like, oh, no one could comprehend that. But, I mean, he had some people, like, th there were people that believed him. Like, there have been multiple times in Scripture so far that we've read where it says, and then the people believed on him. Uh, the people believed what he said. Uh, he's He's got a following. Now, does that mean that they're obligated and or even able to comprehend everything he says? Absolutely not. By no means, as Paul would say. Because, um, I mean, you've got even his 12 disciples get confused constantly by the stuff that he says but there there've got to be some people in the crowd that when he's when he's saying like i have the authority to, to lay down but i'll get back up and they're sitting there like dude is this guy really gonna this guy's talking about coming back from the dead isn't he there's got to be someone in those crowds that, that puts two and two together makes four i mean obviously there's no yes or no answer to that but it's just food for thought that i, I like getting curious about they may stuff. I, I, I would assume that there might be some that would connect the dots but yet they don't see the clear into the picture oh yeah absolutely. i think they may have like the thought may run through their mind bits and pieces yeah but then it's like when jesus does make that statement of like a hireling i think it's interesting too because we see i think david going back to david he is a man after god's own heart i mean what he was a shepherd too before he was anointed as king and you hear stories of him fending off a lion and, and and beast against his his uh, his his sheep, and what does a good shepherd do? Is that he protects the sheep from those that he loves with a sling or whatever device that he has. And he talks about here of a hireling. If someone's just hired just just to protect it, they may just turn tail and run. And when the devil tempts him, he's basically saying the same thing. He's like, "Why don't you just turn tail and run? You know, I can give you this kingdom here. You don't have to die." You can ask the angels to come and, and lift you out of this situation. And I would assume, and I would, if, if Jesus is human, that may even come across his mind in the garden. He says, you know, Lord, if it's, it's, it's your will, let this cup pass from me. And so that thought could probably even, it's like, I can run if I want to. You know, I, I'm, I could be a hireling in the situation here. I could just turn tail and run. But Jesus is like, no, I am the true shepherd. And a true shepherd dies for his sheep. A true shepherd lays down his life. For his sheep. And I'm going to quote it. Uh, and Lord of the Rings, Arwen, he, and she says, you know, she has uh, little Frodo, and he's he's about to die. 
and she has him, and the ring wraiths are about to come and destroy him and take him, but she says, if you want him, come and claim him. And so she is going to fight the, the, you know, the, the nine bad dudes, the dead kings of, of old, to protect this little hobbit, to protect this little lamb of a useless little thing. And she says, you know, if you want him, come and claim him. I can see Jesus saying the same thing. It's like, you know, if you want this big boy's voice, death, if you want this, come and get it. I can see Jesus on that cross, you know, it says, it is finished. Like, come at it, boys. I'm here. I'm the true shepherd. I like to take another opportunity to uh, trash on the Pharisees because it's, it's one of my favorite things to do. Um, first off, I'm fully aware that the Bible wasn't written to me. It was written for me. So there, there's some uh, metaphors, some terms of phrase, uh, and some some things that are written that people from that time will get in a very special way that will evade me unless I specifically study those things. You know, yeah. it, it was written to people of that time, but we can obviously still uh, reap spiritual rewards from it. So everything I'm about to say might be completely irrelevant. <laughs> I have that. I, I have that gift of speaking that, irre- irrelevant. That's the, that's the stuff I like to do on this podcast. I like to say stuff that might very well be nonsense, so you can set me straight, and then maybe I'll learn something from it. So let's let's go on this trip together, shall we? When he says hirelings and talks about them like running away at the side of wolves and stuff, what that makes me think of, well, for one, when when you say hireling or hired hand, whatever terminology you want to use, I mean, I think of someone who's paid, obviously. Like, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. okay, this is someone who's being hired to do some work. So maybe someone who isn't part of the family, maybe someone who isn't particularly fond of keeping sheep, but just needs some money to to go and buy food for the day. They just don't have long interests. In work, work, work in the nine to five. Like, they don't, they don't give a crap about the pastor. Working nine to five. Oh, boy. Dolly, you can't, you can't trash on Dolly like you trash on the Pharisees. Oh, don't, don't you dare tell me what I can and can't do. Okay, well, continue to use Pharisee trash. So the part, and part, I mean, Pharisees. Uh, <laughs> um, so when I think of the hireling as opposed to the shepherd, and again, this this is where I might be saying stuff that's nonsense, and I'm just telling you this, this is what I got from it. This is what Matthew Thompson got spiritually from, from the scriptures. So here we go. When I think of the shepherd, I don't think of someone who's making money. I'm thinking of someone whose livelihood in terms of this is just what they do. Like, it, for instance, if you get your kid to, to mow your lawn, do you pay them? I mean, some parents might. But overall, like, you're paying them in that you're giving them food and shelter and they're not living on the side of the road. Does that make sense? That's kind of what I think of when I think of shepherd, like, uh, raising your kids up on the farm. Like, your, your kid's going to go and do farm stuff. Does that mean you're going to pay them a wage? Maybe, but also maybe not. Um, I don't necessarily think the shepherd is in it for monetary gain. This is something they do because they love these sheep. They they have this uh, relationship with these sheep, as is established in the scripture anyway. So I think this argument can hold water. Uh, so that person, as opposed to the hireling, that shepherd, again, let, let's take it back to David again, uh, because he, he's got this experience as well. When his sheep are threatened, like he goes after the threat. It's like, I, I got to take care of these sheep. It, or like the, the parable of the one and the 99, like Jesus, that good shepherd is going to go after that one sheep. No, no matter what the, the cost, no matter what the consequences, I got to take care of these sheep that I love and that I desire to stay together as a flock. Whereas that hireling who's just in it for the money, just wants to go off and buy, buy his gallon of milk for the week. It's just like, I, I didn't sign up for, for fighting a wolf. This, this, this ain't what I'm about. That, that speaks to me again is throwing shade at the Pharisees yet again because the Pharisees, I mean, they're they're enriching themselves. They are the high class. They're out here making the money, and when they're hit with these hard truths of, oh, it, I'm fulfilling the law, like things about to change. The Pharisees are like, whoa, uh, do we still get paid after change? 
We don't. Okay, then screw the change. Jesus, What we got to get this heretical junk out of here. We don't like this. That, that's kind of what um, jumps out in that scripture to me, like with the little meaning in there. I've got a little story for you. Tell me. So one of my coworkers at work, he has a side business mowing lawns and doing like uh, uh, utility work for apartments in Sparta. And sometimes he hires friends or people that need a little extra cash to help him do those odd jobs. And he said that one time that he hired this one dude that said, hey, can you work me? I just need you know, need some money. I need to go and, and do some work if you, if you got something for me to do. Like, yeah, sure. I mean, I'll help you guy out. So he did. And it was like maybe four or five hours into, you know, an eight-hour day or five-hour day or whatever, normal work day. And the dude's like, okay, I think I'm done. And I was like, what? What do you mean you're done? We're not done with the job. I was like, well, you know, I've worked enough already to go buy some beer and cigarettes. So just give me what I've worked already and I'll be on my way. And I probably won't be back to ask to work, work for you again. And so it was like, okay, here's your money for your beer and cigarettes. And I will delete your phone number from my phone because I will never call <laughs> you for help. So it's that same principle here. Is it like my friend has a longevity mind of like, I'm taking care of something greater and bigger than just going buying, getting beer and cigarettes. Same thing with a shepherd. I can see that the shepherd, what does a sheep do? It provides wool. It provides clothing for possibly that shepherd and his family. It could provide food and sustenance for that family. I'm not saying that Jesus is going to eat us. You know, we eat Jesus through the... You know, this is my flesh. This <laughs> is my blood. No, but it, it, in that this sense... This is my beer. This is my cigarette. Yeah, it is about my beer and my cigarette. <laughs> but in the sense of that shepherd, the true shepherd sees a bigger picture than the thieves and robbers and the false shepherds. And, and the hirelings that are just paid momentarily. They see only the small picture. And I think us as teachers and preachers and people that show the word, we need to be looking at that bigger picture of the kingdom instead of the smaller picture of, oh, I'm just getting my beer and cigarettes. You know what I mean? Jesus is the flowing fountain of everlasting beer and cigarettes. Thank you, Jesus. You'll never want for cigarettes. No, yeah, yeah, it'll be a, 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 an endless... One of those real long cigarettes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those comic long ones yeah. like the, the gangsters had. The... Heresy. This isn't heresy at all. The, no, no. not at all. So let, let's let's move on to some real heresy <laughs> in, in verses 19 through 21 where we get some, some common insults thrown at Jesus again. This is stuff that we've heard before, but it makes it no less ridiculous when it's said. Because uh, verse 19 says, Therefore a division arose again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the sayings of one possessed by a demon. It isn't possible for a demon to open the eyes of the blind, is it? So this sticks out to me uh, because this isn't the first time he's been accused of having a demon. This is the first time he's caused a division amongst the Jews. So it's easy to just kind of read that and be like, okay, it's more the same. But man, it, it really helps to look at the context here because is it safe to say Jesus isn't stupid? I think it's a safe thing to say. I would, yeah, I would assume it's safe to say that. Jesus knows good and daggum well that his people know good and daggum well that God loves talking about sheep. That That's a pretty common theme in the Old Testament because it's something that... Talking about sheep or just the people of the, uh, the allegorical parallel? Both. Okay. Both. Because, I mean, Jesus is aware of, like, what he has done 
throughout the Old Testament, like the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, like they're on the same page here. So he knows what his people respond to. He knows what's relevant. He's he's talking like God talking to his people because he is God talking to his people. That's crazy, right? I know. So Jesus isn't dumb. Like he's using these same themes. He's using these uh, same metaphors stretching across this, uh, this new message, this new law. But he's conveying it in, a, in more or less the same way that the old law was given. Like there's, there are commonalities that you can draw. Like you, like we've been hyperlinking constantly between uh, what Jesus says and stuff in the Old Testament. Like there are those constant callbacks because again, Jesus knows what he said back in the day. He's going to refer back to that. He's, he's using the law to his advantage because I mean, goodness, he wrote the whole law or we'll have the whole law written. But that's, that's a whole other conversation. So even though he is constantly giving himself more credibility by, by having these callbacks to, to scripture, um, making clear these metaphors that there that are not new by any means. He's using the same sort of language that he's used in the Old Testament. It's again just heartbreaking to hear this constant like brushing off of things he's saying. Like, oh this this guy has a demon. This guy has a demon. Like not not taking a moment to really just absorb what Jesus is saying and allow that good news to really seep in. They just want they want to harden their hearts, which unfortunately is another common thing throughout scripture. People hardening their hearts against what God says. Well Jesus is speaking the same message but yeah a different picture he's, he's he teaches the same stuff over and over again he just paints it in a different light yeah. and so you if you paint if you say the same message and within the same people the same context they're going to respond the same way and jesus is is divisive in nature he will defend he will offend people you know that's what he you know when i became a christian he did offend me you know and that and but yeah i realized that he was the, the true shepherd and i realized that well he offends me because i'm the one that's offending him it's not that not not that way, but yet in the sense of like because of my sin, I'm the one that's offending him. That I'm that I'm following these thieves and robbers of lies and deceit and destruction. But yeah, I'm I need to follow the, the the caretaker, the one that truly cares about me. And with that, you're going to get people that are going to say, you know, Jesus, you got a devil. You're you're the one that sucks. But yet here, Jesus is like, I've told you. If have you not been listening? He says that again. Have you not been listening? And I think the people are like, well, we just haven't been heard correctly. You know, it's just tell us more. I'm going to throw some more hash out at the Pharisees because, I mean, Jesus does. So in verse 26, uh, it says, but you don't, this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Talking to the Pharisees, oh, 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 got him. Got him, boys. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So Jesus is saying, you know, the reason why you're not understanding it because you don't want to understand it. You're not even my sheep, guys. He's saying I, you're 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 being stolen by these thieves and robbers. Heck, you are the thieves and robbers. You suck. He's basically saying, you know, this is like you're not part of my fold. And so, and, and I made this, uh, and, and I, I like this relation back to where uh, later in other uh, scriptures he says he talks about the true vine. You know that he takes branches from the outside and grafts them into this true vine but what does he also do that he trims off the dead stuff that's going to end up killing the true vine and so i think jesus here is throwing that hash again towards the the religious and political rulers saying y'all just are too concerned about yourself you're too egotistical you're too you are lovers of self instead of a lover of others and you do not want to follow the true true shepherd so he continues on in verse uh, 38 28, sir. 28? 
continues on in verse 28. <laughs> I can't count. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. He's all-powerful. No one is able to snatch them from out of my Father's hands. The Father and I are one. Okay. We're going to get some dicey waters here. Spicy time. Spicy time. Throw the dash of sriracha and uh, paprika on the, the scriptures if you want to. I'm going to throw in like a wrestling ring bell in here or something. No, no, no. Ding, ding. Well, I think most, <laughs> I think most of us would agree. Uh, I think everyone would kind of align on the same topic or the same Ideology. Yeah. yeah, ideology on this. We'll see about that. Theological standing. You, you we, were just a disagree. Yeah, we know disagree. Matthew's going to just want to throw something True. there just because. Okay. Well, well, look at that smirk. Okay, so this this is a long-standing theological point of etern- eternal security. And I'm not going to, we're not going to go into hashing and throwing out stones towards each other in the biblical context because we are brothers in Christ because... There is Christ loves all. We are all part of that fold. It's just that some are more closer to the fold than others. I'll tell you what to do. It's free real estate. So <laughs> Matthew had his stone picked up and just let go of it. So when it says here that you know my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me, I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. I mean, this is great news, and this is what Jesus proclaims back in John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. This is great news, and have everlasting life. This is exactly the same thing He's saying here: is that no one will snatch them out of My hand. And this is where I don't agree with some of the very far independent free will Baptists of saying repetitive regeneration of like, okay, every time that you sin. You better ask God to come back into your life because every time you may, you know, lust after the flesh or if you accidentally use the Lord's name in vain or if you do this, if you do that, if you sin once, you're, you're damned to hell. You know, you're automatically damned right there. You better ask forgiveness every time. So it's like you're putting Christ back on that cross every time that you ask that you sin and ask Christ to come back into your life. Like God's grace isn't strong enough to hold you. And then you've got the other side of the fence is like, okay, well, Christ is in your life. So then... You're eternally secure, so it's not, no matter what you do, you are forever within the fold. And so we're not going to get into uh, – maybe we may get some deep waters. We'll see. But I like a term that I heard from a preacher friend of mine called conditionally eternally secured. And this term, I would say that it's neither or of both sides of those fence of extremes. I think that you are secured in the fold of God's grace, that you have a promise of eternal life and you don't have to put Christ on that cross every time that you sin. You don't have to be like, Lord, come back into my life. I'm sorry I sinned against you. Which, yes, you need to ask forgiveness of sins so that you can grow, draw closer to him. But yet it's conditional by your desire to be within that fold. You are forever secured within that grace, within that hands of God because God is all powerful to hold death from you but it is up to you to remain in that fold and this is where I won't get much into it but yet the state of apostasy I think that you can only I think you can lose your salvation that's this is my my theology I think you can lose your salvation but it is only once and you can never go back into the fold 
that you revert back to a state of apostasy of denying God altogether and, and say, I don't want no part of that. And I believe that you will not, or you are not welcome back into that fold. But yet I, I do think that you, you are eternally secure, but it's up to you to be within that fold and be secure in that grace and faith through God's everlasting hand. It's up to you. Now, Here's the only thing I will throw out there about this because I'm not, I'm, I'm, like, and, and like I said, I'm not going to try to bash anything except for when people try to make statements like this. I have heard from more than one preacher that believes uh, specifically and, you know, once they've always say, uh, like, there's nothing you can do about it. And I've heard people say from the term, like, you know, I can't go to hell if I want to. Or I, you know, I can't leave the Father's will if I want to. You know, you know, I accepted Christ when I was ten years old. I can do whatever I want, and it won't matter because I'm always in Christ. Well, that post that I may mention to y'all earlier that uh, I, God doesn't need my permission to save me. It's it's just like well, then my saving grace doesn't rely on me anymore. Like I have no free will, and I think this is where like a lot of conjecture and a lot of turbulence comes into play is the free will situation. Mm -hmm. yeah. Salvation already. Not wrong. Not wrong. True. I mean, yeah, in the sense of like, God's not going to knock down that door and say, you're coming with me. And it goes back to, to the thing that the shepherd will leave. Leave, but yeah, but he's not going to force. He's not going to drive out the sheep. If you go back to some other, John's other writings, especially like in Revelation 3, you know, Jesus will be at the door and knock. Mm -hmm. He's not going to kick the heart's door. Boom! Yeah, there he is. open up. You know, he's not going to. Police! He's not going to force his way in. Oh, oh, too soon, sorry. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Kool-Aid, man. That who shall I ever believe in him shall not perish. But, oh yeah! <laughs> but see, like, that... I'll talk to Sam. Yeah, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> like, he's not going to be forceful about it. And when you say you can't go to hell if you want to, that's saying Christ is going to force you into his fold, no matter what, because you accepted him, there's no going back. And you try to make, you try to preach the peaceful, loving Jesus, but then you try to say, oh, like nothing can keep, nothing can take me out of this fold. Christ is going to hold on to me. Well, see, I will agree the fact that nothing can pull you out. Satan and his demons or stuff cannot pull you out. Yeah. But I will say you can walk out. Yeah. You can voluntarily walk out. And I think that within my lifetime, I've seen plenty of preachers and leaders that have walked away, not only from the ministry, but from the faith altogether. And that is such a sad state to me. It's such a sad state to be in because I know what the Lord's done for me. And I know that he's led, led me to good pastures and he's led me to good streams. Uh, you know, it, it reminds me of Psalm 23. You know, he leads me down the path of still waters. He, you know, restores my soul. And so I know what the good shepherd can do. And knowing that someone has tasted that and has seen that, it just just bewilders me. And just I, my mind gets all side goggled, you know? It gets kind of all just bundled up and crazy to think that you've tasted this goodness of God, but yet you've denied him altogether. And I know that there are some going to say that, well, he just wasn't saved to begin with. Or, well, you know, he's still secure. And... We're not going to get into that big debate in that, but yet I just want to point out is that, you know, this irretrievable apostated heart that people sometimes have is almost impossible to fall out of his grasp if they have witnessed the peace and grace of the Good Shepherd. And I'm 
promise you that in within the arms of the Good Shepherd is the best place to be. And I just want to point out that I like the True Shepherd. He's a, he's a cool dude. I know him. I know him by name, and he knows me by name. And that's something that I would like to be instead of being used, abused, and tortured by the thieves and the robbers that are using me for their own gain, just like the devil and just like false teachers and prophets and just like poor political leaders. Tanner, you might not want to debate against the eternal security concept, but dadgummit, I will. Not out of any ill will towards them, but just because I really just, I want to clarify a point in the way that I read the scripture, Mm -hmm. because I didn't even remotely get the feeling of like uh, eternal security or even the conditionally eternally secured thing. Now, does that mean that's not in there? Not necessarily, but I wanted to share the way that I read this because I'm not getting okay. I, I'm not getting the feeling of what I got out of it. Hey, it was written for you, not to you, right? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So, so, so let me let me introduce y'all to, to what I got out of this. I think there is a consistent challenge throughout this entire chapter, and the challenge is to us believers. I think that there is a nice little underlying message throughout this entire uh, chapter, uh, John chapter 10, that that Jesus is issuing an open challenge to his followers. And it starts, uh, in my opinion, in verses 4 and 5, which we already read, but I'll, I'll read again just to get it out there. Whenever he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. Now, when I was originally reading this, I was thinking, huh, that's weird, because we've been taught that we, we are we are the sheep in this metaphor. I mean, that's true. That that that's what this metaphor is painting us as the sheep. Sheep are stupid. We're stupid, and it's been made clear throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament and throughout just human history in general in relation to, to Christianity that we're pretty consistently garbage at following God. Like we think we have a grasp on what God wants us to do, and we're constantly just screwing it up, doing doing bad stuff. Um, practicing idolatry, whether we admit it or realize it or not, like we're always just falling trap uh, to sin. Like Satan's always, always getting us in his grasp. Like we, we walk to him, uh, arms open, more often than not. So wh- why does Jesus seem, why, why does it seem like Jesus has so much faith in us throughout the scripture? It, it struck me as weird. Him saying, "My sheep know my name. My sheep, they won't follow a stranger." Dude, Jesus, the, the sheep have been following strangers since the very beginning. What are you talking about? Like, okay, so Jesus clearly isn't wrong. So what's he saying here? And what kind of pricked me in the heart, I was like, I feel like this is an open challenge to us. He's not sitting there saying, like, anyone, everyone out there that's saying, oh, this Jesus dude is cool, they're, they're, they're immune. Their sin isn't going gonna, isn't gonna to get to them. Satan's not going to be able to take them down. Satan's not going to be able to challenge them. Oh, he'll, he'll be able to challenge us. Don't, don't get me wrong there. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying throughout this is he's warning us. Like the... It reminds me of like when he talks about uh, spewing out the lukewarm water. He won't. He won't accept uh, the lukewarm Christian. He's making clear. Listen, if you think that you're following me, and yet you're taking me in half measures, if you think you're following me, and yet you still uh, grasp on these political leaders, on these so-called spiritual leaders, and look to them for guidance instead of me, if you start looking at the physical things and going, that's what I'm going to put my faith in. This, this individual that claims the Lord's name is who I'm going to follow rather than the Lord himself. This 
person who takes these uh, verses out of context and makes them mean things that I want them to mean. I'm going to follow that person instead of God, who says things that challenge me, who says things in Scripture that make me feel bad about the way that I live. I'm not going to follow uh, the, the Christ in Scripture. I'm going to follow this individual that makes it easier to swallow. He's challenging us. He's making clear, you can't do this stuff in half measures. I'm going to hurt your feelings. I'm going to say a lot of things that are, that are going to shine a light on the evil in your life, on the sin in your life, and you're not going to like it. But that's, that's part of the process. We have to expose that sin to take care of it. For you to repent of it, you have to admit that it's there. You have, you have to repent of it. You have to be embarrassed of it, be ashamed of it, want to get rid of it, want to follow me. And it has to be 100%. I'm not going to accept any of these half-measure, lukewarm Christians. So he, the way that he decides to say that is by saying, my true followers, my sheep, will follow me. They're not going to follow strangers. They're not going to be fooled. He's making clear that the people that are fooled aren't a sheep. I can definitely see that, see that he could maybe make a contrast between uh, the crappy sheep and the good sheep. You know, the true sheep would definitely follow his name. And that goes back to, the, to what he's saying earlier, is that the sheep within, within the gate, the Jews, and the sheep that he, he's going to call outside the gate, the Gentiles, that there are sheep all over the place that he's still going to call. I, I think of, what's that, uh, like in Sweden, there's a cattle calling where they go, they like yodel. To call it, and I can just see Jesus just yodeling to our hearts, you know, of the Gentiles and the Jews. Uh, but we have those little cowbells so that he can, he can hear us. That's our little prayer bells. We have little prayer bells around our necks, right? But uh, to, I, to I guess the, to end the, end the chapter out, uh, Jesus. Read, read verse thirty-one. It's funny. After all this, all the, after all these amazing. Well, that's, I was uh, getting to pleasures, bro. All this I was getting, I was okay, getting, I just want to make sure it gets skipped over because I, I cracked up when I read that. No, verse. yeah, so. Here, after this whole conversation about the sheep, uh, Jesus is about to get stoned. He, the, the, the Jews are PO'd about this whole conversation between the good sheep, bad sheep, uh, the thieves, uh, the shepherds, and stuff like that. And so here, in verse 31, again, the Jews picked up rocks to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. Which of these works have you, are you stoning me for? We aren't stoning you for good works. And so the Jews are already saying, well, you've done these good works. We're not stoning you for the good stuff that you've done. You know, I mean, yeah, you've done. You, you've healed the blind. That's cool. But yeah, we're not stoning you for that. And the Jews answered, but for the blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. And I found this ironic because they're saying, you're a man and you're making yourself God. But yet if they switch that around, they would get it right that you are God that made yourself man. And if they would get, if they got that right, if they just switched them around, maybe they could have gotten the picture that the God Creator is lowering Himself down, that He's actually a servant instead of a great, you know, coming in a white horse to defeat Rome. That He's actually coming to defeat death, sin, hell, and the grave. That He's something bigger and better than what they've imagined it to be. And so, and Jesus answered them, "It is written in your Scriptures, I said, you are gods." For he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken. Do you say you are blaspheming to the one of the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them, and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me, and I and in the Father." Then they were trying again to seize him, yet he eluded their grasp. And so here he, they, they try to stone him again. And it just seems like Jesus is, is like you said before, he's convicting them hard. 
Even better, I think we did get a little glimpse of sassy Jesus there in verse 32. Because he says, it, it reads so sarcastic to me. I have shown you many good works from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Like, okay, so what, which miracle are you stoning me yeah. for? I'm, I'm losing track. What, you know which why, good thing did I do? You know what I really think that's funny, though, is because that's how they thought they were supposed to measure up the Pharisees. You know, we do all these great things. We pray out loud in front of the public. You know, we allow people into our temple you know that you know they think they thought the works was everything so jesus i think jesus is kind of throwing that at them like i've done all these great things which one are you showing me for i i, I really think he is trying to just throw something in there at him like hmm. yeah and even then when the pharisees give their logic uh, which does hold according to their law as far as their uh, trying to enforce it, saying, "Oh, but you're you're blaspheming by claiming that uh, that you were one with God." And then Jesus even is able to throw that at them and be like, "Wait, but uh, the old law said that you're you can do that in certain contexts." So I mean, am I really being a heretic? Oh, but also I am the Son of God. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have Jesus. He departs and goes into Jordan, and this is where the location where John the Baptist was being was baptized and doing his ministry. And many of the people they wondered at Jesus. They looked at him and said, "You know." John never did any of the things that you've done. You know, John never did do any miracles. He just baptized. But John spoke the truth about you. So these people, the, the Jews and the people who are following Jesus into this place of, of, of John the Baptist, I'm sure Jesus is like, look, we're back here where, where it all began, where I was baptized and my ministry started. And we're going back all the way to, to the beginning of John. And, and people was like, you know, John didn't do all these things that you've done. But he spoke the truth. And then what does it say there at the very end of verse, of verse 42? It says, many believed in him. So even without the works itself, Jesus is like, I'm proving a point here that John, if you believe John, and John spoke good of me that I am the Redeemer and the Messiah. It's not the works, it's the things that I am saying. Jesus is going far and beyond the works. He's going, he is the Word in flesh incarnate. Going back to John chapter 1, revert reverting back all the way back to I am the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. And so you don't have to have the works, but yet it's just giving further proof. You just got to have Christ himself. Right. That's uh, John chapter 10. Join us next week while we talk about resurrection, the test drive, the yep. practice run, the version 1.0. Yeah, yeah. So our information is down in the links below, all your social needs and things and whatnot so everything you can click on you, yeah. you don't have to copy paste nothing we made it easy for you just gotta, gotta tap the links and you're good and you can uh, get in touch with us uh, join the conversation talk trash talk trash preferably about the pharisees but i mean yeah. if you don't talk trash oh, about you can us. talk trash about mason yeah. in his preparation for sermons I'm, I'm <laughs> that's fair that's completely fair i'm not on there to defend myself so yeah. feel free to go extra hard on me. But, but you can but you can uh hey we had one uh listener to send emails of t-shirt ideas <laughs> Needless to say, I don't know if we're going to take that round or not, but. Well, not about turning this place into a den of thieves, you know what I mean? <laughs> if we're not basic white 20 year old males that don't have t shirts for their podcast, we're not doing it right. On that note, Tanner, how about you hit us with magic? Peace out.